Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. Now, if you're an HR professional, one of the things you've noticed this year is all of those conferences, the ones you were planning to attend, have either been canceled or they've gone virtual. And maybe for some of you, that is not fitting into your plan of getting your recertification credits. Fortunately, we can help. Check us out at bossbuildersuniversity.com and you will see a list of programs that have already been pre-approved for SHRM and HRCI credit, some of them for business credit too. Check us out today at bossbuildersuniversity.com. You know, COVID has taught all of us that we have to be resilient to be successful. Our guest today is Harris Fanaroff. Now, he is the Director of Client Relationships at OKA. It's a consulting and training company in Virginia. But I wanted him to come on the show today to talk about resilience, to talk about his experience. The title is Reframing My Experience for Success. And for some of you right now, this is the message that I really think you need to hear. He has a great story, great outcome, and some great experiences to share. So let's quit talking about Harris. Let's let him talk to us. You know what to do. Take that personal item, put it under the seat in front of you. It's time for us to take off. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Harris, welcome to the show. Hey, Mac. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to, to talking with you today. Yeah, I am too. I got introduced to you from uh, Boss Builder Strategic Partner, Margie Bush, who just raved at uh, some of the work that she had been doing with uh, OKA and also with you. And she says, Mac, you've got to talk to Harris. He's got a fascinating story. And so I don't even know what the story is. I'm about ready to be surprised, just like everybody who's listening to this episode but before we get to the story, Harris, I was hoping you could just tell us about yourself. And if that's where the story begins, then uh, I'm going to hand the mic off to you. Absolutely. Well, Mac, thanks so much for asking. And Margie's amazing. So shout out to her before we get started here. And uh, I've had the privilege of getting to know her over the last couple months within my job. And, and she's just awesome. So big shout out to Margie before we before we get in. So a little bit about myself. It'll get into the work that I'm that I'm doing and I think any story that I start talking about with myself has to start with sports and with baseball because it leads into the work that I do right now. And so for my whole life, I had always described myself as an athlete. Uh, more specifically, baseball was my, was my sport. It was what I excelled in. It was my differentiator in life was that I was the athlete. I had two brothers that were really, really, really smart. I was smart too, but the athletic aspect was what differentiated me. And I was in about middle school when I started to think about playing baseball at the next level, playing baseball in college and how, what I needed to do to accomplish that goal. So I set that goal of, of playing division one baseball. Uh, I ended up accomplishing that goal. I actually got drafted out of high school by the Nats in the, in the 50th round. I uh, turned it down and went and played college baseball at Lehigh University. And it was through uh, several different experiences at Lehigh that I actually got into some of the work 
that I'm doing now. And I'm sure we'll head into all of this, but just quickly now, I'm director of client relationships at an organization called OK or Otto Kroger Associates. And we are an organizational development and leadership development firm. We do certifications in a number of different assessments. Our most popular is the EQI 2.0, EQ360. We were a big time certifier in the MBTI, the Myers-Briggs. And so we do some of that work. And then we also go in to organizations and do workshops on things like resilience, navigating change, you name it, big leadership organizational development topics. And, and we go in and, and do that stuff. So that's the, that's the quick overview. And I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into a lot of different aspects of that during today's call. Yeah. So I, I guess I had no idea that baseball was your thing. So were you playing uh, little league and then did you do travel? How did you kind of make that journey? Mm-hmm. So baseball was a huge, huge, huge part of my life growing up. I did travel from no joke, age of seven through uh, all the way, all the way through college. It was a huge aspect of my life. I think when you're going through what travel baseball is, and I played travel baseball and travel basketball and travel soccer as well. <laughs> now that I'm your parents, you owe your parents a huge thank you. By that's the way. exactly where I was about to go, Matt. You don't <laughs> realize the uh, the burden and the difficulty that it puts on your parents. And I would say now, as I'm getting to be that age of, of I'm 28 right now, uh, about to get married in September, and I'm realizing now the difficulties that being on a travel sports team puts on your parents. So I'll always be grateful for them driving me around state to state, all across the country. I don't think either of them really ever missed a game that I had uh, while working, which is a pretty unbelievable feat. So uh, I was driving all across the country, flying all across the country for different sports. So I'm forever grateful for them for that. So you went ahead and then you said you were drafted by the Nats. Was this like right as you graduated high school? Yeah. So this was in, in June of 2010. I was drafted by the Nats. I was actually at beach week of my senior year. Uh, and I was driving. I got a call from a scout that just said, hey, Harris, we're about to draft you in the in the 50th round. Uh, it was awesome. It was a really, really cool experience. It's something I'll tell my kids, tell my grandkids, a pretty amazing, uh, awesome experience for me. And I'm, something I'll never forget, that's for sure. But you decided to go and play college ball instead. What was the reason for that? So... I mentioned it was the 50th round, so it was the last round of the of the MLB draft. Definitely not a lot of money that they offer you as a as a very very late round draft pick. And I it was always instilled in me to get a get an education, get the best education I could get. So I was always really going to go to college and get my education because I knew that's where I would end up uh, making a living. Uh, yeah, I love baseball, but I understand at the end of the day, that was the most important. So uh, they didn't blow me away from a money perspective, obviously, with that late. Uh, and I always wanted to accomplish that goal of playing uh, Division One college baseball. Okay, so you went to Lehigh and your major was in, what was your major again? My major was finance. Finance, okay. So did you go ahead and start playing baseball and start your athletic career and your college career at the same time? Did you, did that did that go through four years then? Yes, it's a good question. And that's, that's a big part of my story and what led me to the work that I do today. And I'll, and I'll get into it now and where my story sort of takes a dip uh, in the sense of some struggles and some failures. And so I had a really good fall freshman year on the baseball team. I was a left-handed pitcher. I was doing well academically. And then, so I was a left-handed pitcher mostly, and then also a first baseman outfielder as a lefty. 
I, I got the yips in the spring of my freshman year pitching. Uh, I, I had one really, really bad outing. I walked everybody. And from that, I really struggled with something called the yips, which is where what I like to describe, basically your, your brain and your arms stop, talk, stop talking to each other. So after 18 plus years or whatever it was of playing baseball, all of a sudden I sort of forgot how to throw a baseball. And it was a real, how, how do you, how does that happen? I'm just curious. I mean, I've heard about the yips before, but I've never talked to anybody that experienced it. Yeah. How does that happen? It was traumatic. I mean, it was from a really traumatic pitching outing. And I read something recently about this where it's with an incredibly uh, heightened self-awareness. It can be more common in someone like that. And Probably looking at it now, it was from just an insane, almost too much desire to have success and the pressure that I would put on myself. Uh, just become baseball became something that I had to succeed in and stop becoming something that was fun. Uh, I just put so much pressure on myself and all of a sudden I, I developed the yips and uh, it was a really, really difficult experience for me. Uh, yeah, it was it was tough. It was really and that and that happened in year one of college. That happened in year one of college. I went back after that spring to play summer baseball in Maryland. Actually, pitched and played first base and outfield and had a really good summer. Had a lot of success. Came back really excited in the fall to kind of show what I'd learned, what I'd accomplished, and same thing. Yips kind of came roaring back, and so I I transitioned away from pitching. I couldn't really step on a mound anymore. Pitching just became so overwhelming and not something that I wanted to do. So I transitioned to being a, a first baseman and outfielder, but never really regained that confidence back after uh, making the switch away from pitching. I had I had some success in the fall as a, as a pitcher and outfielder, not a lot in the spring. I actually went and played summer baseball as a first baseman outfielder. Had had a lot of success out playing in a summer league in Hawaii. Came back in the fall and just realized that I wasn't having fun playing baseball anymore at Lehigh, and actually ended my career about three and a half years in. Uh, stopped playing baseball. It just stopped being something that was fun for me, which was really tough. And I struggled a lot with identity issues once I quit. I had always, as I mentioned earlier, described myself as a baseball player, and then uh, I stopped playing, and it was kind of like. Well, who am I now? And so that was a really difficult situation for me. Did you enjoy, though, when you played summer leagues? I loved it. So what's the, what is the difference between playing in college and then playing in these summer leagues? Because I'm sure it's still competitive, right? They were both really competitive. I think it was probably the pressure I was putting on myself. I think in the summer leagues, I could allow myself to separate from the pressure and not put that pressure on me, not be worried about my stats. And in the spring, it just became a situation where I would just put so much pressure on myself and wasn't able to diffuse some of that pressure. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was just a, a ton. I mean, as I'm recalling, it was just a ton of anxiety that would come to playing at Lehigh that I wouldn't experience as much in the summer. And it just became to be too much at, at one point. What kind of support did you get at Lehigh when you were going through this? Is, does the team have a psychologist or do they just say, suck it up and get over it? How did it work? Good question. So I had 
a really, really strong support system of teammates and friends and parents and my parents. And that was the the support system that was really helpful for me. I'll always be grateful for my teammates for not letting me and my friends and my parents for not letting me spiral down into a pretty dark place. I, I didn't get there because I had that support system and I easily could have gotten there. When your question about sports psychology is a, is a funny one, considering some of the work that I do now, I, I didn't really know sports psychology was a thing. I had briefly heard about it, but I didn't know what it was. It wasn't, and this was 2014, so we're thinking about six years ago. It wasn't as common of a conversation as it is now. And so I didn't think that it was something that was for me. I mean, I... I would have been honestly the prime example of somebody that needed a sports psychologist. I just didn't think of it as a resource. Hmm. So you said that your, I guess it would have been your last year, your senior year, there was no baseball for you, right? Right. Mm -hmm. All right. So how did you fill that gap in, in that last year? Did you just decide to buckle down and finish up and get out of there? What was that last baseball season without you in it like for you? Great question. It was really tough. Uh, really, really tough. Being around it all the time was tough. Mo a lot of my really good friends were still on the baseball team, so I wanted them to succeed and do really well. Uh, and it was tough not being a part of it. And I did have a good amount of other friends outside of baseball, which kept me busy. And I kind of became big into racquetball and, and working out and yeah, focusing on my studies. But uh, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that it was really tough to be there and not be part of, uh, part of the team anymore. So that was something that was just a, a difficult experience. But again, I'm grateful for the support system that I had around me that helped me stay away from spiraling into a really dark place. I think that's something that maybe doesn't always come out is that when people stop playing their sport and it's been attached to their identity and it's their friends, it can lead them into some really dark places. And we need to provide those people with an outlet, a support system, and people to kind of lift them up during a time that could be pretty dark for them. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine if that's been the, you know, the culmination of your whole growing up and then it's suddenly gone, but you finished out your degree. And so did you graduate with a degree in finance? I did. I graduated with a degree in finance. I had a good GPA at, at Lehigh. And then, yeah, I I, uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, think, I thought I wanted to be in New York City because that's where everybody from Lehigh was going. I applied to a bunch of different jobs in New York City. I didn't get them. I applied to a job in D.C. because I'm from the D.C. area originally at a company called advisory board company. It's actually a funny story. So I've had five knee surgeries. And so I've gotten really close with the people at the physical therapy office that I go to in, uh, in my hometown of Rockville, Maryland. And I was talking with the lady at the front desk that I, uh, I was home for, it must've been winter break or spring break. And I was talking with the lady at the, at the front desk and I'm like, Hey, I'm not really sure what I want to do. She's like, Oh, my, my daughter, uh, works for this great company, advisory board company. She travels around the country, uh, makes a lot of money. You should check it out. And I'm like, hmm, 
That sounds pretty cool. I like traveling. Uh, making money sounds good to me as a senior in college. Uh, I'll check it out. And so I applied and that's where I ended up working for my, the first five and a half years of my career. Now that was, was that in the DC area too? Yeah, that was in the DC area. Mm -hmm. Okay. So take us to where we are today. So you're no longer with that organization, you're with a different one now. And what's your role there? Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I'd love to tell you a little bit about how I got to my current organization now, because I think it's a really good and important story, especially for those navigating their career and trying to figure out what they want to do. And so I was about two and a half or three years into my job at advisory board company slash EAB. Uh, EAB was a, a part of the advisory board company, a higher education part. And I, I liked it. I was having success, but I knew that there was something more out there for me. I am a very, very passionate person. I want to throw my full 110% energy at anything that I do. And so I started to think about, hey, what is there out there for me? What do I really want to do? And I had conversations with anybody in my network, anybody that was connected to anybody in my network, real estate, finance, uh, you name it. And I was having conversations just to reach out and learn, hey, what do you do? Why do you like what you do? What about it do you like? And so I, no joke, had over 100 conversations. And then I actually got introduced to somebody who was uh, a sports psychologist and mental performance, uh, professional leadership development. And he was going through a coaching program at Georgetown University. His name is Brian Levinson. And he was going through a coaching program at Georgetown University and had to take on uh, a client as part of the program. And we had just, he's a friend of my cousin's and we had just had lunch and he's like, he reached out to me after he's like, Hey, uh, I don't know if you'd be interested, but like, I'd love to, to coach you and, and see what this is about. And I didn't really know anything about it. Like I said earlier, I, I didn't know sports psychology. I didn't know mental performance. I'd heard these terms, but I'm like, this guy seems great. I'd love to get to know him better. Let's do it. And it was, that experience was, was life-changing for me, honestly. Uh, the thing that I just talked about with my identity and struggling after I finished my career, I had never really been able to talk about because I had always just thought, hey, I'm a pretty big failure for what happened with my baseball career. And, and I just thought about that as such a negative situation. And we went through and we wrote down 30 things that I learned through that quote unquote failure. And I, what's a new way of reframing my identity. I I'm no longer a baseball player, but I am uh, a passionate, hardworking, driven individual that loves creating relationships. And so separating my identity from baseball to be about who I am and my values was, in, was just incredibly eye-opening for me. And so it was through that conversation that I said, this is what I want to do. I want to go do this for other people. And so I went and I got certified as a coach myself, had more conversations with coaches, which ultimately, uh, and people in the organizational leadership development space, which ultimately led me to my current role as director of client relationships at OK or Otto Kroger Associates. Wow. That, I mean, you, if you visualize the young man in high school playing baseball, could you have ever projected this is where you would be at the age of 28, Ab 10 years? Absolutely not. And I'm so grateful to be where I'm at because I'm in a career and I'm doing something that I'm really passionate about. And to be honest with you, I don't think I get here without that giant uh, mound of quote unquote failure. And I'm putting that in quotes because I don't really believe it as failure anymore. Uh, that I went through in college. I think that that's what led me to where I'm at right now. And for that, I, I'm 
pretty grateful, which is weird to say about a failure, about a an experience that didn't go as planned, that didn't go exactly how I thought, but it definitely, definitely, definitely led me to a career that I'm passionate about. You mentioned a term reframe. So talk to us about what that means, because it sounds like that was a key learning point for you in this. Yeah, really good question. So I had always thought of my college baseball career as just a massive failure. And I was a failure because as I mentioned in the, I think the first thing that I said, that I set out this goal in middle school to be a division one college baseball player. And I had finally gotten there. And then in my head I had failed. And so it was, I had always looked at that situation as a failure up until these coaching conversations where I was asked some really good questions about myself and asked the question of what did you learn from that quote failure? no joke, we wrote down 30 things. And that really helped open my eyes and helped me reframe the situation. And it's an evolving reframing of the situation. I think it's become an even more positive reframing of the situation because I'm now at my job at, at OKA, that it just keeps getting better and better. I'm now more intentional about how I show up. I just think that it's helped me become a better person in a situation that I originally looked at as just a massive, massive failure. And so that, I mean, just that ability has been life-changing for me. This is, so we'll go ahead and date stamp this, that today is the last day of July, 2020, which in my 56 years goes down as the absolute worst year I have seen. Um, You're young enough, you'll probably have a few 2020s before you get old like me, but there certainly, I would imagine, are lots and lots of people who are listening to this today that have just experienced something similar. They had a dream, a goal, they were on a path and COVID shut down the industry, it shut down their organization, it shut down the opportunities. And now, just as when baseball left you, that dream has left them. Are there any tips you can offer that person who's really struggling? They They thought of themselves as blank and now that's gone that might help them get started because you've overcome this very well to the point where now you're helping others. What advice would you have for them? I would say, what can you learn from this experience? I think that's the biggest thing to think about when it comes to failure is we can let failure completely hold us down and we can become a victim to the failure and just say, well, me, my, my life's going poorly. This pandemic, made me lose my job and made me do X, made me do Y, made me do Z. And and yes, you have the right to be upset about that. All of that is terrible and it's horrible, but you got to come out of that. I think that you need to understand that this will teach you and so much about yourself and your ability to be resilient. And I was just on a coaching conversation earlier and we had 10 people on the call and everybody went around and said, one silver lining of this situation. And everybody had something that was just incredibly positive. They formed a connection with somebody that they never would have before. They uh, they created a new part of their business that they had always been wanting to create. There's going to be a silver lining that comes out of this for everybody. And so I would say part one is understanding that there is something that you're learning from the situation. And part two is not getting 
upset with what's going on right now and understand there's a bigger plan. There's a bigger picture. There's going to be positives that come out of this because of what you're going through right now. And yeah, it might be tough, the work that you're doing, all the networking conversations that you're having now to try and find another job, but it's going to pay off as long as you keep keep going at it. And I think just holding on to that perspective and knowing that things will work out, keeping that optimism at a higher level can be things that can help you get through it a really difficult situation. I don't mean to shed light on losing a job. I understand how difficult that is, but it's our job to do what we can to reframe that and make that into as good of a situation as possible. I'm thinking too of people. So, you know, this year, if you were a high school baseball player and this was your senior year of high school, yeah, that you didn't have a senior year. And I'm also thinking of, because, you know, it, from what I can see anyway, COVID's not going to magically go away September 1st, which means, you know, in personal opinion, the king of all high school sports, which is football. <laughs> I mean, imagine being a senior and no football your senior year. That's what you live for. Yeah. You have senior night when you go crashing through the field with the seniors and your mom's there and you give her flowers. And for the rest of your life, I mean, I still sometimes have dreams of being a high school football player my senior year and loving that. And I keep dreaming that I get to play again. But imagine if you didn't have that. Yeah. So ultimately, that advice that you gave to working adults, that's going to be relevant, too. So if you're listening to this and you've got a child who is going to be a senior and is probably going to miss out on something significant, you know, this sounds like a formula as well. So Harris, do you actually, do you coach people through these situations? So I do. And so in addition to the work that I do at OKA, so sort of a side hustle, if you will, on, on nights and weekends, I actually do mental performance sports coaching uh, with high school and college athletes. So that's part one of my side hustle business. And then part two is emerging leaders within uh, organizations. And, but, but part one, I want to hit on again working with high school and, and college and actually some professional athletes as well in the mental performance space is something that I'm really passionate about. So I was pretty gifted physically and really bad mentally. And the mental part of sports is so incredibly important. And so I'm working with those high school students right now, a high school junior baseball player just missed his spring season. He's trying to get recruited. He's had the same dream I had when he was, uh, in, a, in middle school. And now he's dealing with missing that season. And it's being that space, that person for them to talk about what they're going through, to think about what can we do? What are other opportunities out of this? I mean, I, I am passionate about that work. I want to help people develop their mental game because I, I believe in it. I think it's what separates good to great athletes. I think, especially when you get to college and some levels of high school as well, People are pretty good physically, and it's the ones who can bounce back from striking out three times in a game and hitting a home run their fourth time or walking three guys and then getting out of it with just one or two runs in. And I think the difference there is mentally and what you're thinking and what your self-talk is, what your visualization is, all those key skills that we need to learn in order to be successful. I just It's a passion project of mine that I'm lucky to get to do. Uh, and work with different athletes on, like I said, some nights and weekends. So I love I love that type of work as well. Does the coaching 
technique that you learned in the Georgetown program, does it dovetail nicely into sports? Because, you know, I know a lot of people that have gone through that program that just coach leaders and whatever, never talk to somebody that has been coaching people in athletics. So is it the same kind of process? Really good question. Just to clarify. So I got coached by somebody at at Georgetown and then went to American University, which is a similar for the coaching program, but similar type format. And so it's funny that you say that because when we finished our program, everybody was thinking about what their quote unquote niche would be when they got into the coaching world. And nobody had a similar idea to me. I was also the youngest person in the coaching cohort by 12-ish years. And so it sort of made sense for my age and what I was interested in. But I actually think 100% because I think every athlete's different and everybody has their own stories and everybody has different things that they tell themselves. And so I can't just tell you, here's the exact self-talk that's going to work for you. Here's the actual, here's the exact thing that you need to do to give yourself courage to throw that pitch or to do X or to uh, start a game off right. So it's all about everything that I learned in that program. It's about listening intently. It's about asking really good questions. It's about caring for that person, being there with no judgment. All those skills that I learned in coaching are things that I'm learning, are things that I'm teaching and showing up in ways for my uh, for my clients. And, it, and it's, a, it's a combination of that mixed in with some sports psychology tools and tactics that I actually learned from that gentleman that coached me. He actually got me up and running on his sports psychology program that he has with people. And so we're doing visualization. We're doing motivation. We're doing self-talk. We're doing all those different aspects of sports psychology mixed in with that coaching uh, mindset of, hey, I'm going to listen intently and I'm going to ask you really good questions because you have all the answers. I have some thoughts. You have all the answers within you and it's my job to help you get those out. That sounds great. Sounds powerful. I guess I'm assuming you're doing this now virtually based on how pretty much everybody. Can, Can this be done virtual or do you have to sit in front of somebody so I've actually, yeah, it's a good, I've actually only done this virtually. I do most okay. of them over the phone. I do some Zoom, but I've actually only done this virtually. And I think when you get curious about somebody and you get to know somebody well, you can develop that relationship pretty quickly. And I'm all about the value of being there in person, but actually to, to coach somebody, you don't necessarily need it, which has been a pretty cool uh Cool aspect that I didn't have to lose that with uh, with everything going on. No, that's great. So I want to I want to also talk about your uh, your day job right now. But before we get to that, so if somebody's listening today and says, "Boy, you know, I really think I know someone that could use help from Harris in this respect," is there a way somebody could find you for that? Appreciate you asking, Mac. Yeah, absolutely. They can reach out to me at, at Harris at harrisfaneroff.com or go to harrisfaneroff.com. There's some information there. I have a ton of different blog posts out there. And if you're a parent of, a, of an athlete or you're an athlete and you're thinking about working on your mental performance and what that could look like, what a program could look like, I'd love to talk with those individuals or those parents. I just believe in this. I, I really believe in the power of mental performance and I believe in it for the sport. And I think you'll become a better soccer, basketball, baseball, football, whatever it is, that's your sport. But I, more importantly, I think you'll become a better, better person when you start to learn these skills. These are life skills. They're not uh, specific to the sport. They're things that you want to, you want to have success in the quote unquote real world. You're going to have to be resilient. You're going to have to learn how to motivate yourself. 
visualization. I mean, visualization can come in in the sense of before sales calls. Like these are all things and tactics that you can take into your your life after sports as well, which is part of the reason why I love what I get to do. Where and this is probably a, I'm going to put you on the spot with this. So where do you see yourself? Let's say 20 years from now, are you? Do you think you still be kind of in this space, or have you had some thoughts about that? So in 20 years from now, so I love what I do. I love the work that I get to do at OKA. And I would love to be the head of head of OKA, head of Otto Kroger Associates. I love leadership and organizational development. That's what I would love to be doing in 20 years. If there's a way that we could add sports into some of the work that we do, uh, that would be awesome. I'm still passionate about sports. I'm passionate about mental performance in sports. And so that would be the that would be the dream for me. We do a ton of emotional intelligence work. I think there's an avenue for emotional intelligence in sports. And so I'm really curious about those two and where they intersect. I talked with Hi- I talk with Hyle about that sometimes, uh, and that's some of the some of the work that I'm really passionate about. So I I truly believe I've found uh, my calling and what I what I think I should be doing in this life. I uh, feel like I'm making a difference, which is important to me. And I'm just so grateful for this opportunity and the many different conversations that have led me to OKA and the people that I get to learn from at OKA are are unbelievable. And I'm grateful for that. And uh, I truly believe I found my my type of work and it's somewhere I could see myself, no joke, in in for the next 20 years, which is pretty amazing to say it at 28. So well, I, I love that. I'm glad that you said that. So full disclosure, um, I've been a, a, a I guess a participant or a client of OK. That's where I first qualified to do the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator 2001 and then have taken several courses since then and sent Margie there. So OKA stands for Otto Krager. And if there was a Mount Rushmore of Myers-Briggs, you'd have Carl Jung, you'd have um, Catherine, and you'd have Isabel, and you'd have Otto, <laughs> I think. I'd say he'd be like the fourth one there. Yeah. And I actually, he was still alive when I took my certification. He came in and did a module, which is like learning from the master. So, <laughs> And then Heil is sort of like this just, I think at the time I was going through, Heil was sort of being groomed to be able to move into that spot. And I've taken two courses from Heil, who is amazing in his own right, and actually heard him at a conference presenting as well. So I'm going to let you tell me what OKA is offering these days, but as a person who has used them for training, I highly recommend it. Not to mention, they have one of the coolest training rooms ever. And I haven't even been there, so I imagine you have different technology even when I was in there. Just a great place, and there's uh, you have this collection of coffee mugs hanging on the wall, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, different people bring their company's coffee mug. It's just a great experience. And it's in, is it Fairfax? Yeah. Because I remember Fairfax, driving Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Fairfax, Virginia. So you could uh, fly to Reagan National and get you an Uber and, and get there real easy. But now let's let's talk about the other hat that you wear. So tell us about that. And then tell us how we can find out more information about the programs offered there. Absolutely. Thank you, Mac. I appreciate that, and I am so passionate and love the work that I get to do at OKA, Otto Kroger Associates. I'm bummed I, I never got a chance to meet Otto Kroger, but I am learning so much from Heil and, and Jen and Hassan. And I love the family atmosphere of OKA. We all love and care about each other. And there's a 
there's just a good feeling. I mean, I think the the coffee mugs on the wall are just a great representation of that. And so at OKA right now during this pandemic, we're doing two major things. The first thing that we do is we do certifications on a number of different assessments for individual coaches, consultants, practitioners. And so our biggest one by far is the EQI 2.0, EQ360, which is the most widely used uh, emotional intelligence tool in the world. We are the leading certifier in it. We provide, we do a, a two-day online EQI certification that is amazing. You will be, it is amazing how much you will have your interest kept 16 hours in front of a computer screen. I promise you it will be a good experience because telling somebody they're going to spend 16 hours in front of a computer is tough, but you will walk out of that loving emotional intelligence and the tool. And so that's one of nine different tools that we certify in. We also have a tool in uh, change style, decision style, influence style, hardiness, resilience, just name a couple of them. And so that's one part of the business is we certify individuals in different uh, certifications, uh, assessment tools. And then part two is we go inside organizations. And this used to be probably about 75% in person, 25% online, but we are doing now obviously 100% online virtual workshops. And so we do two different varieties in that we'll do a half day MBTI Myers-Briggs workshop or a half day EQI workshop, or we'll just do a 90 minute quick hit on emotional intelligence and social justice or emotional intelligence and dealing with a pandemic. And so we've developed 16 different short duration virtual workshops, 90 minutes. If you're in HR and you're looking for an organization to come in and and do some workshops for y'all, we'd love to be a part of that. We will have a conversation up front about, hey, what do you want to accomplish during this? What's really important for you about this type of training? And it'll be a, you'll have a family-like atmosphere in working with us. And everything can be found uh, on our website, oka-online.com. They can reach out directly to me, hfaneroff at oka-online.com. I love connecting with people that are passionate about emotional intelligence, personality type, organizational development, leadership development. Uh, I just love these conversations. So even if, even if you're not necessarily interested in that right now, but you want to make the connection, I, I love making connections. So I, I'm all about it. Excellent. Yeah. And so, um, I haven't dropped the episode yet. I was telling you about it earlier. I had a one-on-one episode, which we made into a podcast with Margie Bush, who has sat in front of that 16-hour program and loved every minute of it. And I can tell you, just being a guinea pig, that is a very powerful assessment, the EQI. And uh, it taught me a lot about myself, so I can uh, speak directly to the effectiveness. So I guess let's wrap this up by... Uh, letting me just, again, prod my audience. Look, if you have got an athlete in your family or you are someone who is a current athlete and you have hit that wall, the yips, whatever you want to call it, you have a resource there. And I think we find that again at harrisfaneroff.com, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Exactly. And then for my HR folks that are listening right now, um, while I would love to have you have us come out and do your training, i totally highly recommend the folks at OKA. Uh, They've taught me. And so if you want the best of the best, you go ahead and look them up. And that is OKA-online.com. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, Harris, I appreciate you taking some time to chat with us today and for being vulnerable and sharing your story with us. And 
my hope is that it has resonated with somebody and based on your ability to reframe your experience would lead them to be able to do just the same. Yeah, I appreciate it, Mac. And, and big thank you to you for having me on. I'm just incredibly grateful and, and continue doing the great work. And uh, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.